Good morning, friends. For those uh, that I haven't yet seen, Happy New Year. I hope uh, you had a wonderful Christmas and so good to see you here. And if you are visiting us, as Tricia said at the, in the, at the beginning of the service, we are delighted that you are here. Now, for those who don't know me, my name is Abby, and uh, I have the privilege of being part of the leadership team here and I play the role of one of the pastors. My other colleague is not with us uh, this morning, having a wee rest with a particular family that is also dear to us, just in case you'll be wondering where he is. Um, it's good to be together. We as a church have came to a place where we were led to have this year as a year of prayer, a year of prayer. Let us pray first. Father, we thank you for the privilege to have your word before us and pray that uh, you have been already speaking to us you continue now to speak to us, Lord, through the proclamation of your word. So we say like a little Samuel, speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. I use me, Father, as a mere vessel to communicate faithfully your word. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. So may your spirit be very much at work. Give us ears to listen and a heart to take in and mind to engage with your word and all the emotions so that we may be whole through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A year of prayer. As I said, we as a leadership want these times we are living in to be times of prayer, praying times. We want us to be praying Christians. We want this church to be a praying church. Not that we don't pray, but that we might enhance our prayer life. This is our heart desire, and this indeed is our prayer, that in this series that we are going through this morning, in the mornings, which we started the last Sunday, to begin with, that we may be led by the Lord to promote a spirit of prayerfulness, privately, but also corporately. In other words, we long that in all we do this year, be embedded in prayer. All that we do, that we may not even read our Bibles without prayer that we may not prepare or hear sermons that are being preached 
without a prayer. That we may not engage in a mission or outreach without much prayer. That we may not contract relationship without prayer. That we may not undertake any particular journey without a prayer. That we may not even choose where to live without a prayer. Form a friendship without a prayer. Serve, whether we welcome people at the door or serve teas and coffees or looking after the children or playing the instrument or lifting up the offering without a prayer. All we do, we want them to be embedded in prayer. And so our prayer is that those who have never prayed yet to arise and call upon the Lord. That those who do pray to improve their prayer lives every week so that all of us will not getting slack or just praying through motions. Why? Well, because when we look at the Bible, there are wonderful examples of prayer and what prayer can do. Prayer won victories over fires, over air, over water, over the earth. Prayer made the sun stand still. Can you imagine that? Prayer brought a fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew an army of San Carib. Prayer, well, the mighty Mary, Queen of Scot, we know this, say I caught, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Prayer has power. Prayer held the sick, raised the dead, procure the conversion of souls. I think one of my favorite is as long as Abraham kept asking mercy for Sodom, the Lord went on giving. He never ceased to give till Abraham ceased to pray. That's a great encouragement. And our Lord Jesus, whom we follow, lived by prayer. Sadly, there are many who never speak to God. And perhaps uh, the reason or the excuse, we don't know how to pray. But we too often forgot that prayer is simply speaking to God. But there are also many people who only pray using a form, set of forms, and going through the motion, as I said. There's no heart in it. 
And sometimes I wonder whether the Lord, well, he listened to you. I was thinking about uh, Saul of Tarsus called Paul. I think before his conversion, before meeting the Lord, before his heart was broken by the Lord or for the Lord, he must have said many prayers, long perhaps. But when he came to meet the Lord, we hear this comment in the Bible, the Lord himself is saying, he is praying. Psalm 8 before us teaches us a lot about prayer. It's a memorable and majestic song of praise for excellence, for to the excellence of God. When you dig this psalm, it is a wash, wash, worshipful meditation on the night sky. I can just imagine because when I came to Scotland, I, I find it hard to see stars and, and moon. I'm like, why is it like this? Maybe because this is so much light. But in Africa, those who have been there in Africa, in the, in the midnight or around 10 p.m., you woke up and you just see the sky filled with stars. Maybe this is what uh, was happening to David as he contemplated on a night sky and begin to worship. Like all prayers, worship involves talking to God. Now what is interesting in this psalm is not uh, uh, sitting in silent contemplation with uh, wordless or without words. Now this has its place. We shall see it as we go through this series. But here, this psalm Rather than just sitting there contemplating, he is talking to God and telling God about God. That's why um, we gave this title, prayer, part of the prayer. This is not the all thing of prayer because we are going through a series. Is telling God about God. The language we found in Psalm 8 is a language of worship. He begins and ends with, uh, with God himself. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is uh, your name. And then between this beginning with God and ending with God himself, David tells God about uh, God. He's addressing him. In a language that is so powerful, inspiring to us. But notice how he's addressing him personally. It's not saying he is the God. You, you, you. He has this incredible relationship with God. 
And I think we need, and we always be in constant need of a fresh language to worship God. Fresh language of attributing this awesomeness, greatness, splendor, glory, and honor to God. We need that. For if we are honest, this is an area where we struggle with. We are at ease asking or telling God, I'm in trouble, but adoring him? We struggle. This psalm gives us some help that can enable us to, to really be taken by this majestic presence and splendor of God to the point that we say, we are not asking but what we are saying. You are majestic and worthy of adoration. So there are four reasons which are found here. Number one, which is there on the screen. He is saying to the Lord, you are majestic and worthy of adoration because of the mystery of your strength. On one hand, he sees this God who is so powerful and his splendor is splashed across the sky. His glory is there. He's all powerful. But on the other hand, he's also saying that there is uh, this strength that is uh, there which is coming out of uh, the mouth of infants, of babies. It's a mystery there. To put it differently, he, he is seeing uh, these enemies, which is also there, the enemies, the foes, and, and, and all these who are seeking to avenge, but also these people as they show off their muscles and uh, I don't know whether they have tattoos. I used to fear people have tattoos because I, I think they are so strong than I. You know. But on the other side, he sees these babies and, and, and these uh, strong people and the baby. But actually, the, the, the strength that is coming out of uh, these babies and infants, there's a mystery there. Now, what you see there, that passage, basically, if you could go close to, to translate it literally, that's how it should read. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the month of children and infants, you have established strength on account of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. And then the key question is, what is this strength that the Lord is speaking here? When you dig deep, the answer will be, it's basically the praise. That's how some of these now translations are putting it. 
like the one we read. But actually, when you go to the New Testament in the book of the gospel according to Matthew, you remember that when Jesus was heading to Jerusalem and people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the, 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 these powerful people, the scribe and the Pharisee who was the opponent of Jesus, wanted to silence these people. And Jesus said, have you not heard that out of the month of infant, God has ordained praise? What is going on here is this. It's like David is saying, I can't comprehend this, that uh, there is this uh, very powerful and, and harmful or a, a, a fatal knock that praise kicks. And so, so praise is there to give a fatal knock on the enemies that try to obscure the glory and the purposes of God. And so David is saying, this is a mystery. You are so powerful. And yet, rather than you just dealing straight with your enemy, you use the praise of these little ones in order to silence the enemy. I adore you. You are wonderful. It's a mystery. The more I think about it, God... I adore you because praise has power. Sometimes, friends, the mightiest weapons in God's depot of arm or, or armory is no argument, is no brilliance, not even eloquence, not even philosophy, but is simply Praise. And the weakest, weakest believer can do this. Now think moment when we are weak. Oh, I remember that day on the Christmas Eve as David Marks drove me. I just lying there. I thought, that's me going. I was so weak. I don't know what they had me praying in the car. They know. And what I was saying there. The weakest one can pray. Praise the Lord. A few years ago, I think we were still in Kilraimon. I brought this um, um, in the preaching, the example of Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is the king. And he, him and his people are being invaded by a powerful army. And as he compared himself with this army that was invading them, he saw himself very insignificant. And then he, he, he decided to pray. And as he prayed, his prayer ended like this. I quote, oh Lord, you are not, are you not the God who is in heaven? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes 
are upon you. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And after that, when he prayed, Josephat was told, do not be afraid. And then he worshipped. But then strikingly, all he had to do in order to go to battle against this enemy was to appoint men to sing to the Lord and to praise God for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to God, to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Can you imagine that? Taking Kara and Benji and go to the front of the army that is going for a battle. And you are the one singing. <laughs> That's scary. But the next verse says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against their enemy who were invading them. And the enemies were defeated. Hallelujah. That's the power of praise. Praise due to him rebukes those who would bitterly question his being or try to obscure his glory. Friend, I'm glad we have even a whole service here where we say praise, prayer, and praise. And maybe we should be praising more, adoring more, to see more of victories in our lives rather than the asking, the asking. See my troubles, but just being there to say, this is who you are. I adore you. The second reason, he's saying you are majestic and worthy of adoration because of the astonishment. Is it coming? I'm waiting for you guys. Yes, thank you. Because of the astonishment of your care. The key question in this is in that verse 4 where he said, what is mankind? Or in the older version, what is man? Now, this question is found many a time in the Bibles. And in each place, it has a different, um, um, what we can call overtone or meaning. Uh, for instance, in Job, it says that uh, this question begs for a respite. And in other places, in Job is uh, hiding in shame in the face of human sin. Or in other places, it's just uh, speaking about uh, the, the, the arrogance of, of, of mankind and undermine all that. But here, in this psalm, it expresses this astonishing awe as the psalmist glimpses the surpassing greatness of the universe and reflects on human smallness and massive insignificance. In other words, when, when you look to the sky, and saw all the stars. I wonder if he had a, um, this picture was coming, a telescope, what he must have seen. 
more. Or uh, perhaps he could have seen uh, this other picture that is coming. He could have seen like that. As, as he, he had all the data, as he surveyed the data that he had there, he thought, this is incredible. As we sang, he made the stars and the moon, and he know each one of these stars by name. And so David, as he looked at this, he said, this is marvelous. The same God who created all this still care for me? Think of me? This is tiny. Me who is mortal? Me who is frail? I? I am amazed by your care that you are mindful of me. Why? Why do you care for me? Why should a mere speck of dust in the whole of eternity of your calendar, you should care for me? Why do you have to give attention to me? The language there is just, I'm blown up. I, 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 I am speechless. David is engaging in a breathless praise and adoration as he thinks of how God cares for him who is just insignificant. Friends, as he looks at this God's creativity and yet this God cares for him, he's saying, you are God. Or, to put it differently, what God are you who can do this? Now, think about it. We too often forget people. And if you don't, I do. Because uh, human nature is like that. We forget each other, and sometimes we forget even God. But God doesn't forget us. His compassion, his concern his care is amazingly gracious. Why should you take the trouble, God, to care for me, to think of me? Friends, it should amaze us that God should create us. Amazing that he should watch over us. It's more amazing still that he consider us and send a savior. Yet more amazing that the Savior should be his own son. And yet more amazingly, still that his love for us should take his son to die. And what can we say to the death upon the cross? This is the expression of uh, the amazing care of God for us. This God who created the entire heaven. No wonder, no wonder even the angels are amazed like in the song or a chorus we sing, this mercy all, let earth adore. Let angels' mind inquire no more. It's amazing. 
whenever we are amazed by the care of God upon us, the more we can't help but bow in adoration and say, you are majestic and worthy of adoration. Think about it. The third one. You are worthy of adoration because of the excitement of your revealed truth. The key question here, David knows he is cared for. He counts. He knows that he matters to God. But where did he get this revelation? Where did he get this understanding? That's the key question. He knows that God had given him dignity and values. He knows that. In other words, if we keep asking what is mind kind, that you should care for him. Now, you see, what we have there, it's echo already in Genesis. So David must have had this knowledge. He must have known God's revelation already. And, and when you read that passage, you see God who created male and female and has given us all this incredible place to live in and, and the position to rule. Then David knows, I have dignity. Unfortunately, when you ask what is mankind or what is a man, what is a person, we have so many views. Our society in Scotland is now being driven more and more by humanists. You go even to funerals. There's a lot of people choosing to go with funerals led by humanists than by ministers or pastors. But it's important to know, friends, that humanism had no value for a man or a mankind. What is mankind? Look at what the humanists say. Mankind basically is alone. Look at that quote, which is in their manifesto. He's alone. Humanists still believe that traditional theism, essential, especially faith in prayer, hearing God, assumed to love and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is an approved and outmoded faith. Really? But David say, hey, when I look at into the revelation that is coming from the Bible, God's revelation which is coming, he says, mankind is not alone. Mankind is a royal. Have you ever think that you are a king or a queen? Maybe if you are not a fan of monarchy, then you think, ah, doesn't matter. Does this make a difference? Yes, huge difference. If we know that we are, have a dignity, we have been cared for, Look at even when Jesus say, consider the ravens. 
They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feed them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And that passage is basically saying, do not be anxious. Well, it's easy to say, but I many a time am anxious. But the point here also is, hey, I care for you. You count because you are more valuable. If ravens get road killed, I make sure that you are sustained. And even if you are knocked by a car, it's not the end. Just on Wednesday, as I was preparing for a, a short talk for our um, service downstairs for this midweek service, and I came across this passage in Isaiah looking, I'm like, oh my goodness. This is who, when you are redeemed, when you are a child of God, God say, he say, don't you know you are precious? You are honored and you are loved. Do you know that you are precious and you are honored? I don't say it is the word of God, is the Lord himself that you are loved? What a dignity. And so the more David thinks about and look at the scripture and he is uh, so taken by this majestic, this powerful, but this caring, but also he's excited that the word of God gives him uh, the way to live. A path, a light to his path, but also an, an unlimited resources in order to be able to live the life threat of this life. Because God and his word are inseparable. I don't know whether I say that right. You know my accent. You can cope with me. Last but not least. You are majestic and worthy of adoration because the assurance of your plan. David is saying here, I am amazed that you put everything under mankind's feet. Really? Oh, well, David, that is your dream. David would say, it's not my dream, it's God's dream, it's God's vision for us. Huh, but this seems like a mockery. Why? Because even the pastor to the Hebrews say, at the present, we don't see everything subjected to mankind. We don't see David. Why are you asking us to adore him? And see, we don't see because what we see is like cancer rules rather than mankind. Tragedy is the one that's ruling. Mental health rules. Grip the anxiety rules. 
This is what we see more. False rules. People keep having a fall. This week my heart went for this young girl who was desperate to look for a child. Infertility, sterility rules. Temptation rules. Death seems to be ruling. Famine rules. Poverty rules. Cost of living seems to be ruling. Global warming rules. Tyranny leaders rules. Dog rules. Because they keep barking at us. Particularly those big ones. Snakes, like in the ones in the forest of Africa, they keep rulings. Lions, they, they look like the one ruling. Sharks here and crocodiles. Midges in Scotland. <laughs> Mosquitoes in Africa. COVID ruling. We don't see that, Lord. That uh, everything is put under our feet. These are the things that seem to be ruling. Well, the pastor to the Hebrews is saying, yeah, there's a problem. And mankind is saying, but why can not even science help us? Particularly us here in the West, we rely more on science than relying on the order of science. It has its limitation. The other day, I found three times 999 to bring an ambulance to me. None was available. Thankfully, a brother was available. Why can't science help us? Why can't? Although with all it gives us and the advancement and the benefit, they can't. Because science itself only deals with mental need rather than moral need. That's my assessment anyway. Science say the more we can apply the facility and the faculty of our mental, we can just be all right. But they can't help us to get in charge of the whole universe. Because they haven't yet discovered what they needed to do themselves to control, first of all, themselves before they can control somebody else. They to die. Even though we may achieve and going to the moon, we will still end up as dust. Terrified by the fear of death. But also there's something else they can't control. is a sin. So the cry goes, why can we not say that everything is under our feet? Then the, 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 the answer is, because mankind lost his dominion because of sin. Through Adam's sin, that brought curse on the creation. We have lost the dominion. And so the cry keeps going. Who can break the deal? Who can help us? There is only one man. 
and his name is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that's where actually that passage where the pastor of the Hebrews is quoting Psalm 8, including verse 6 we are looking at at the end. And he's saying, contrasting, we don't yet see this, but we see Jesus. We see him through the eyes of faith. Because Jesus, when he was here on earth, he dealt with uh, this lost dominion. But also through his death and resurrection and ascension, now he is sitting above all things. He is ruling. He is reigning. And notice what the writer to the Hebrews or the pastor is saying. We don't not only see the Lord, but we see Jesus. He's using his human title. We see already a man who is reigning. And so this gives us hope that because there is one man already who is ruling above all these cancers and everything, we too, one day, will rule. That is the hope. And so the psalmist is saying here, I adore you because there is a royal future that is awaiting for us. But we need something now while we wait. Oh, yes. While we wait, the Bible tells us that God, our Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, that our lives, those who are Christian, our lives are now hidden with Christ and Christ in God. Now, if the Lord Jesus is already there ruling, so we too, by faith, are already ruling above all the spiritual adversary. Above all dominion, above all rulers, above all kingdom, above all authority. And that is a great position to be because you can just go down to your enemy rather than trying to assail your enemy from below. And so David said, when I look at this, I know even this plan has not yet been fulfilled. But you are already working. And in Christ, one day, I shall rule, you shall rule, we shall rule over the midges, over cancer, over everything. And there will be find no more. But even now when they're terrifying us, even if they bring us to death, death is not the end. And so he says, I adore you because of your strength, the mystery of your strength. I adore you because of the astonishment of your care. I adore you because of the truth and excitement that the truth revealed in your word brings. You are majestic. You are worthy of adoration because 
there is an assurance that your plans will come to fulfillment. No one can frustrate them. No one can stop them. And today, we are not alone. He is with us. So as I close, friends, I offer these reasons to begin with for private consideration. And I do it with all humility. I know no one who needs to be reminded of them more than I do myself. But I believe this is God's own word. For in them we find a fresh language. And we find afresh the God we too often forgot to adore. As we live in an era where there are big thought about mankind, man, and small thought about God. But the more we think of this, the more we see that God is still majestic and worthy of praise, worthy of adoration. Adoration that is stemmed through this. Things that the Lord has revealed to us. Adoration that defeats the enemy. Adoration that is uh, rising out of this loving care that the Lord has for us. Adoration that is uh, being driven by the revelation that God himself revealed to us. Adoration that is there the more we think of his promises, the more we say, you are worthy of adoration. So what would we begin and what do we do? How do we respond? How would the psalmist tell us to begin with? Why can't we bow? And say to him, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is no one like you. Who uses praise that come from feeble and weak people to do a blow to the enemy. Who cares us so much. Who has given us dignity. The God who has promised us to rule and share the glory and the splendor with your son. Oh, help us to lift up our eyes on you this year, to lift up our eyes more and more and fix our eyes on you. For the more we look at these uh, problems here on earth it robs us of adoration but when we look at you and look at your son crowning with glory 
the one who once had no beauty nor majesty to attract us to him and yet now crowned with glory oh Jesus we adore you for your name is majestic 